Welcome to this week's edition of Riff Raff News. Um, it's all in the news at the moment. We're going to have a, a chat around the speech from ex-Prime Minister Liz Truss, which um, which was yesterday to the Institute for Government. I don't know whether you saw that, Guy. Mm. I've seen ex- extracts. I didn't see the whole thing, but yeah, seen bits and bobs. Yeah, well, basically, um, uh, to, to, in a nutshell, it was, I was right, we should be shrinking the state and providing incentives via tax cuts both personally and and commercially mm. um I, I, I quite a few quotes but one of the things she said was um businesses saving time and money now rather than investing for the future so i think she's she's arguing that um the the environment isn't right for business to be investing in the future and that's going to affect us further down the line she's quite scathing about um about the Americans and the Biden program in terms of the it's called the IRA isn't it I think the, the Infl- inflation reduction act it's an unfortunate acronym but it is the inflation reduction act yeah which is nothing when you get behind it as we've discussed many times it doesn't look like the inflation reduction <laughs> no. <laughs> no it's just a huge stimulate stimulus uh, program 400 billion from memory dollars yes it's a lot isn't it and 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 she's mm. she's not in favor of those sort of um, stimulus at all she she thinks that's um that's wrong that it all ought to be coming from private investment um not from from public sector effectively um so it was quite an interesting speech i thought we could have a look and see what the being charitable what it is she was trying to achieve and with a with a, a speech and for that matter her her budget with um Quasi uh, Quarting last year, although he's he's gone very quiet, hasn't he? There's not much not much coming from Quasi. He's a bit more um, resigned to uh, to the back benches, I think, rather than she is. But I think his time will come because he must have been deeply wounded because she was supposed to be a friend, mm. Mm. and he was uh, famously fired in the back of a cab, wasn't he? Uh, he picked it up on Twitter. Yeah, he was flying back, wasn't he? Or he flew back from. Um, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. It was some high level. He was he was hooked, wasn't he? As one of the G something conferences. Yeah. Finance yeah. minister conferences, and he was hooked. He was <laughs> told to come back. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I mean, she was saying yesterday that Britain, the US, and the Western world are high tax, high spending high regulation and low growth which i don't know how you feel about that i mean the growth in the states is quite high i believe at the moment isn't it yeah i mean the world's biggest economy isn't it Mm. and some people think that um it will remain so even even though china are hot on their tails um it's probably a reasonable summary yeah because um taxes are quite high in in the us Mm. um we depending who you listen to over here we've got the highest tax rate we've ever had mainly as a result of stealth taxes that have chipped and chipped away and we know that um say in scandinavia taxes are huge and um as we discussed discussed in previous pods yeah in southern europe they're, they're high it is it is i think a reasonable summary and uh, so the question is why has that happened i think Mm. Um, more than anything else or was it always that way well I don't think I mean I, I take on board what you're saying but you, you look back to the 70s and, and 
ta personal taxation certainly was a lot higher than it is today. I think the highest rate of taxation at the moment is 40%, isn't it? We are, we're 45%. This is one of the things that um, obviously she was trying to, to, to bring oh, down. Oh, yeah, to knock that off, mm. yeah. But we were, go back to the um, the Wilson government, I think the, Dennis Healy, wasn't it, who said we're going to make the riches, the rich people's pips squeak. And I think the mm. highest rate of personal taxation at that point was in the 90s. It was way, way up there, so... Yeah, that's right. There was an investment income surcharge, wasn't there, that, mm. that you paid your income tax, but if some of that was from savings or shares or whatever, you, mm. and probably these days it would be rental income from property, um, then you paid an extra few percent. I was too young then to remember yeah. it, but, but you're right. The marginal rate of tax, which is when you get above a certain level, what you pay was very high. But she did say in her speech, and I sort of had some sympathy here, that if you're a... If you're earning six figures, nice, but mm. you know, six figures is not as much as it used to be. If you're earning £100,000 and you've got a student loan, uh, your marginal rate of tax is 71%. So there's not a lot of an incentive there. Uh, if for every additional pound you earn, you, you only keep 29p of it. So, so yep, yeah, she has a point. I guess I'm not. I'm not sure. I'd. <laughs> you won't be surprised to hear me say I'm not sure. I totally agree with you. I don't. I don't. I mean, we're we're we've got a problem, haven't we, at the moment with junior doctors? Um, nobody's nobody's suggesting that because they're not on six-figure salaries, they haven't got an incentive. It seems to be the incentive only relates to those people who are executive boardroom um, level, who who um, seem to be that's okay for them to have to be incentivized on six-figure salaries but our, our you know our junior doctors aren't incentivized to that degree so I think people just have to be part of a uh, society and accept that they have to share wealth around a bit more I'm not sure I agree with this idea that you you're you've got a better society if you've got huge well not a huge number but a, a large number of people at the top who are sucking the wealth out of society i don't think that is necessarily good um and that i guess that's one of the issues i have with her is that she's talking because that they're naturally a non-interventionist party the conservatives they want to shrink the state and they want to spend less money um ostensibly on on paying for i mean she's talking in this particular speech on cutting back on benefits now Effectively, only when in the first year she was from the budget, she was talking about having benefits going up uh, only in line with uh, with um, wages as opposed to inflation. Last year, I think it was wages as opposed to inflation, um, and and that would have given them um, more money to spend on what they wanted to do. But I I I, I can't see that longer term. If you save this money, how then at the end of a period of time, say 10 years, you've got the economy growing. Let's let's accept she's got a, the economy growing at 2.5% per annum. You've got the economy growing at 2.5% per annum. If you're fundamentally um, bound to a non-interventionist policy and you don't believe in putting money into public services and putting money into benefits and putting money into the welfare state 
then even if you've got the economy growing at the level, why would you then decide to throw your doctrine out the window and put money into those things? How, how would the country benefit in general? Do you know? Well, I, I don't think they're necessarily making that, that connection. I think her, her whole philosophy is that uh, we've had this, she said, 25-year period of economic stagnation now. Mm due to high taxes, mm. over-regulation, lack of incentive, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I think she's saying, well, look, we, her favourite phrase, wasn't it, from a year ago was, uh, we've got to increase the, the size of the pie as much as who gets how much of it. Because uh, unless we do that, we simply can't afford all the things that we want. So I think that was her starting point. Um, and then obviously you can pick and choose any examples to illustrate uh, matters. Uh, and and it's, it's great. It's theoretically, it, I'm sort of on side with it, this, this idea of people keeping more of what they earn. I think that's a good thing. Uh, why, why wouldn't it be? And in, a, in an economy that's growing, there'd still be enough. There'd still be enough in the taxes that people do pay to pay for public services. Incidentally, this is an, another pod altogether, but I agree with over-regulation. I think some industries are under such ridiculous regulation they can't move, but that's another story. Mm. Um, not, yeah, yeah, the the, the problem enough. for me in Truss's policy is it's almost... It's a policy in a vacuum, and it ignores the two... I'd say it's two seismic events that occurred in the last 25 years, and one being the banking crisis of 2008, where um, I think it was Gordon Brown was credited his intervention uh, in terms of inverted commas printing money and lowering interest rates was replicated pretty much across the world because it was the way to keep the whole system going. But of course that then meant the state's balance sheet increased and then the other huge uh, um, event was, of course, the pandemic, which added billions and billions of pounds to uh, our, our debt. So it, it, the thing for me is you can't pretend they're not there. Mm. <laughs> and, and sometimes I think that Trust did do that. I mean, for example, I remember her when she was on the stump going for the leadership. She said you shouldn't start to repay that debt the covid debt for three years whereas sunak was saying no we've got to get the debt down so that you know if something happens again mm. we've got money in the bank so to speak for another time but anyway um i so i'm not necessarily making this connection with economic growth and not wanting to pay people benefits i think it is a fact that if your economy is growing and it's compounding because it's not two and a half percent once; See, it's two and a half percent it, yeah. across. It, and then there's the, there's a bigger pie, isn't there? Well, historically, so what's wrong it with that? Well, historically, it doesn't bear fruit, does it? The the argument that a conservative know. government with a growing economy would choose to spend any of that money on improving public services, way back through history. If you look back through 30, 40 years of history of conservative governments. What they choose to do if there's a growing economy is more tax cuts, 
more money back to those people who are earning a lot of the top to start with and and be damned the public services i think this is half the problem that they they don't they they offer you know there's always there's as we are at the moment when there's when there are problems everybody has to cut back but when when it's milk of land of milk and honey it's their friends in high places who benefit rather than the society in general which is why I asked the question, you know, if 10 years down the line we, we were to get to a position where we've got growth at 2.5%, 3%, would they choose to share that round and, and have a first-class health system or would they choose to cut taxes for those, you know, as we've, we've established what she was trying to do yeah, already? Yeah, but I don't think... I think in the modern economy, I don't think it's an either-or. I think you, you've got to have both because... Seven and a half million people on an NHS waiting list mm. by definition means you're depriving uh, your labour market from either a number of people or a number of people who are not fully functioning. Mm. So that's the first thing. You've got an ageing population. You can't escape that. And that will mean increased provision. So I don't, I don't think any prime minister or chancellor can sort of say, "Oh well, we're going to make all, have all this growth, but only the rich boys are going to take it out," because the thing doesn't work. I don't think it works in the years ahead. We're going to if the world economy has changed as a result of uh, Putin's intervention and also this perception of China at the moment. I think it's going to be less globalization and and more sort of. Uh, inward-looking investment and as a result of that I think governments are going to have to look to put more public money into public services so I don't I don't think it's either or I think it's both so you you're talking there about pensions and I agree with you one of the things she's talking uh, about here is um yeah. you probably heard that that she's talking about um pensions people having to make provision for their own pensions rather than rely on the state, which I think is what they tried to do a few years back, didn't they? These portable pensions that they introduced, you could pay into when you when you were at the supermarket. That was the idea that people would. Um, people, you know. Is that right? Well, yeah, I, I think that's that's crazy. I think the you know, the as it is, our state pension isn't isn't the best mm. uh, if you look at Europe, but at least it's not a massive massive drain on the public purse. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't fiddle about with the pension well, because that, you know that, she said it was unaffordable that they couldn't do that. And, uh, and well, it depends what she's saying. Whether she's saying the triple lock is unaffordable or uh, state pension is unaffordable, but you've got to unwind an awful lot of um, national insurance contributions if you're going to do that. So that comes into the even if it's unaffordable, it comes into the too difficult to do pile. I, I, no, I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't pay a lot of attention to that. You, you, personally, you, yeah. I mean, that, that's what not she's saying. A, she, not as a policy. Yeah, she wasn't talking about. The, she didn't mention the triple lock. She was talking about the affordability of our current pension system. Now, whether you're meant to deduce from that that we're talking about the triple lock or not, I don't know. Well, it's a bit of a nonsense, isn't it? Because if if somebody doesn't provide for a pension and they get to retirement and they haven't got a pension, well, then you're going to have to rely on benefits anyway. So mm. 
I think it's robbing well, Peter to pay Paul. In a civilised society, you will have to rely on benefits in certain societies in, yeah. in the world. Clearly, we believe in, in um, true capitalism. Then if you haven't made provision for yourself, then too bad, isn't it, really? You're reliant on charity in certain areas of the world. Um, but she, I mean, there's, she was talking yeah. about the anti-green agenda. Um, is uh, this a different agenda to the anti-growth coalition? This is a different agenda. Yeah, the the anti-green agenda. She she that's her agenda, and she right. sees the the green agenda as a as a drag on growth. She was talking yesterday. She wants to incentivise oil and gas producers to come back to the North Sea and start producing more carp because she doesn't feel that um, that is actually talking about China and how China isn't competing with or Britain isn't competing with China on a level playing field because they're still producing carbon. I mean, it, it all. It, this argument is all, if they're not going to do it, then we're not going to do it. And, and it, it all leads one way, doesn't it? If you believe in, in yeah. global warming, then, then nobody does it and we end up with them. Now, whether that, you know, that sort of attitude would appeal to a younger electorate I don't know. I just find that quite astonishing. Well, I don't think you. I don't think you would. No. Um, but when she, what's her constituency? I can't remember. Um, I don't know. I think it's in the home counties, isn't it? If I remember yeah. Right. Well, the, no doubt she's near a river, and when a polar bear sort of drifts, <laughs> drifts by her house on a nice block, which is separated from from one of the Arctic or Antarctic, wherever they are, <laughs> then she might have a different view. I, I, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's so easy to do and say, isn't it, when you're effectively a public speaker. Mm. Um, and I, I, a different discussion would be the psychology of having to say I was right mm. and not being able to say I wasn't right. Uh, and I think she even blamed the OBR for leaking something, she, didn't she? She did. She was very yeah. critical of the OBR. Um, uh, Who weren't allowed to see the books. No, no. Um, and they apparently made a um, prediction in terms of a £70 billion shortfall in, in, in the, you know, the balancing the books, and it turned out to be a lot less, um, less than half of that, apparently, and she took great... Um, pleasure in telling our audience that I mean she was talking as well I know we were talking before we came so we started recording about um, uh, the, the country she held up as economic powerhouses in yeah. terms of their uh, yeah. management of the economy Poland and the Baltic states where they've got apparently low public spending and flat tax rates um, and I think that's what she'd want to do over here there was there was talk in the the, the speech that she gave about um, looking at flat tax rates and and trying to bring those in over time in this country. Again, that would in, what you were saying just now to incentivise um, those people who she sees as uh, high earners and which is very keen to hold on to our millionaires. She was saying that you know all the millionaires are flying flying the nest. Oh, are they? Mm, right. Apparently so. Um, but she she wouldn't be drawn on whether this was um, advice for Rishi Sunak or whether it was just her, you know, her agenda. There's talk 
that she might be a candidate for the leadership again should Rishi Sunak not win the next election, which looks highly unlikely, doesn't it, that um, that he's going to win the next election at the moment. Um, how do you think she'd go down both with the rank Well, we already, I think we know the answer to that. I think she'd probably go down very well with the Tory membership. Hmm. But, but I think the Parliamentary Party, unless they've been on the planet Zog, would, would, wouldn't let it get that far. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't tank the pound, almost bankrupt our huge pension companies hmm. and cause a very real short-term increase in guilt yields and therefore mortgage rates. You cannot do that uh, as an essay approach to leadership. This was real. This was the markets. Money markets aren't daft. Mm. And, and to be fair to Sunak, whether you like him or not, in one of those um, debates they had, he absolutely predicted what would happen if she went ahead with her policies. Mm. You, you know, so, so whether... <laughs> I can't believe the Tory party would be daft enough to put her in power because if that then became real and she was the Prime Minister, can you imagine what would happen to markets? Well, uh, yeah. Doesn't bear uh, thinking about, does it? I, I heard, so, um, so, so I, don't, I don't see it. I, I think um, she's had her go. It didn't work. And she's now probably enjoying x thousand pounds gig on the circuit but desperately i think the psychology is she's desperately trying to write what went wrong mm. and unfortunately she can't well fortunately for her yeah. she she can't and it'll be a new breed who take over uh, in the event i think sunak would have had enough he's got to prime minister he's mm. done well the boy did good Sunat will step down and the new breed will take over. I'll tell you who I do think is doing quite well at the moment. I've seen her on the last couple of weeks. She's been on different issues, and that's Kemi Badenoch. She seems yeah, to be... she, yeah, yeah. She's she speaks very well, doesn't mm. she? And uh, she's yeah. staying out. She's um, swerving a course through avoiding all the pitfalls. I mean, what's happening at the Home Office at the moment? The story broken this afternoon with regard to one of these detention centres for migrants. Um, I think uh, um, Bra Braverman, Suella Braverman, is going to have problems in in the very near, the very near future. But uh, can I ask? We're we're sort of tailing this up, tailing it off. There was um, she used this word vulcanized. Have you heard that used before? I mean, I thought it was no, to do with rubber. No, like Star Trek. Well, Star Trek, Star, I remember that. Star Trek or, or, or rubber, yeah. And I've never heard it used. She used it three or four times, vulcanised. And I'm, in the, in respect of a political context, I was trying to work out what it could mean. I didn't hear her say it, but I have not yeah. got a clue. And and finally, there's a, there's a couple of... Um, there's a couple of comments with regard to her speech. Um, so Jacob Rees-Mogg uh, said, Trust was right to be publicly making the argument for growth. Uh, and he echoed her analysis that the government is spending too much and taxing too much. So no, no surprise there then, I guess. And um, 
a fellow who you might remember grey hair quite uh, Connor Burns do you know Connor Burns uh, yeah uh, I do but for, I can't re- I, yeah go on former minister he's not quite so complimentary yeah uh, the only service you could provide is sustained silence so Conservative and former minister Connor Burns as he branded trust a drag anchor to any cause she attaches herself to and toxic on the doorsteps. So, <laughs> so he's not quite such a fan. But, uh, yeah, I thought... Uh, I, I don't know, I don't think she's done herself any favours. I think she'd have probably been better off just um, a dignified silence for a period of time. and then. I suppose you know, she's got a life to lead as well, so she's laying down some wine for the future, maybe. Maybe, Bye. yeah. But we can, but uh, not a vintage yeah. I want to uh, I want to pick up. So we're freewheeling, guys. So I, I just thought you might mm-hmm. be interested. Um, next month is the 18th anniversary of a change in the law um, that came about and is being monitored by the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Authority. And the, this law, which changed in 2005 was to ensure that anybody who was the result of sperm donation or egg donation um, would have the right, starting from next month, to be able to search out their biological father or biological mother, for that matter, okay. um, once they reach their 18th birthday. Um, and uh, prior to that, obviously, they, did, they didn't have the right. They, they, it was You could donate sperm and eggs anonymously and you wouldn't um, you wouldn't be able to go to the authorities and, and find those details out uh, and the figures are quite interesting um, around 766 uh, donor conceived people can find their donor in 2023 2024 so 766 um but they reckon that um that only about 25% of of those people who gave donations have left details on record as to where they're now living or where they're now um mm. where they're now uh, uh, abiding so it might be a little bit more difficult for children to be able to to come back and say it's an interesting concept isn't it because I, I was you know in terms of my background I've got a bit of a um, an ancestry DNA thing going on where I, I found members of my family um, which I wasn't aware of um, by by putting my um, DNA on the register and I was thinking that the, the, the guys and ladies or women for that matter who donated sperm and eggs prior to 2005 um, can now find themselves in a position where perhaps they didn't give any consideration to that if if they are on a DNA register if they join ancestry or if for that matter any of their relatives join ancestry then they can find themselves with biological children that they they didn't know that they had right it's quite um okay. it, it might be quite um quite salutary mightn't it for because obviously science has overtaken what what was available at that time and i'm sure most of these and mostly guys i think would have thought that they're earning maybe a bit of pin money by giving sperm donation now find themselves effectively in what could be the firing line in respect of 
children that they've got out in the world coming to search them out. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Any? Well, my immediate thoughts, as you were explaining that, so so this is only people who are reaching 18 now. The law yeah. we're, we're talking about now. Unless yeah, they such. happen to be on one of these ancestry yeah. databases. Yeah. So so let's just concentrate on those first. I guess the first thing is, how would you know that your your um, biological father or mother wasn't mum and dad who you lived with? So do you have to be told that well, or, or is it? How does that work? I don't think you have to be told. No, no, I think no, not um, like adoption. No, I think you. Well, you don't have to be told with adoption, do you? In theory. Okay. No, um, no I, don't I guess know not. You watched any of these? Um, uh, the, the the programs, Long Lost Family, for example. No, um, no. there's no there's no compunction on on the okay. mum and okay. dad, the adoptive mum and dad, to to tell the kids yeah. that they've been adopting. So I suppose that's the first thing. How would you know? But let's assume mum or dad, as you would call them, has told you. Mm. And then, as you say, you know, if the data is... I don't know where you go. Where where, where do you go to find out who your sperm or egg donor well, was? Well, there's a, there's a register, because this okay. is what uh, the the um, information that I'm reading off of is, is a call to those men, predominantly men, who have... Um, given donations mm. over the last 18 years to get in touch to make sure that the information that they've got on the register for them is up to date so that if anybody any of the kids come calling um that they've got the right. correct date and contact details and you'd, you'd have to assume then that anyone who donated post 18 years ago post 2005 mm. was told yeah and it wasn't just sort of in the terms and conditions, you know, item 73. No. But no. they would have been expressly told that in 18 years' time, somebody or somebodies could could actually come at you. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That, okay. That's true. I think the, 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 yeah. those the, the guys that have, or women as well, that have donated since 2005 will have been aware that this was right. more than a possibility. Right. Um, well then, then I think if that's fair game. I think I think I think most people would be reasonable, wouldn't they? So what's the worst that can happen if your biological son or daughter sort of came in your direction? Mm. Uh, you, you'd have a conversation. You'd maybe ask. You might even get on with them quite well, or you might not. But in most cases, it'll be probably just a are one and done and people would go about their business uh, it's it just the urge of the offspring isn't it to want to know their roots i can see things getting complicated um uh, particularly if, <laughs> if if it turns out that your uh, donor father or mother is i don't know why i'm going this way but particularly wealthy <laughs> you might be thinking all right yeah i'll get on to that I'll try and find my way into their uh, into their will or something like that, but that's just the way my brain works. Um, but I think it's fair if, as long as it was made clear to the donors at the time, I think I think it's fair that the the offspring could uh, contact them. Yeah, no, but, I but think, not. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with you there. I think it's the wider 
um, element of, of DNA testing and, and DNA databases yes. that will now call into... I mean, it's the same, I suppose, with a lot of families that will now find out that they have um, ancestry that they weren't aware of and yes. maybe, um, uh, you know, other other family that they weren't aware of. So it, um, it's it's going to be an interesting time over the next... Um, the next decade or so as people discover you know who who are actually their maybe who are actually their parents and who aren't and, uh, uh, but we have got experience of that as a nation with adoption haven't we I see. where yeah it where it's the same thing isn't it you 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 can go and track down for want of a better expression your natural uh, mother or father or both of mm. course. Uh, so, um, I think that's slightly yeah. different in that adoption. You, you, you give up a child, and you effectively, if you're the biological parents, you give up a child yeah. for adoption, and a record is kept um, of yeah. of your your having done that. Whereas, I think if you're um, born, yeah, it to, is different. You know, born say, well, for want of a better, if you're if you're born of an affair, for example, um, but aren't aware of that, the DNA will will throw that up, won't it? Which um, which is a lot different. It'll, it'll bring up a lot more surprises than maybe um, uh, adoption would have done. I think that's that's sort of um, something that that will. Yeah, I think there's more risk to the the DNA mm. testing yeah. that that I think most people see as a bit of. I haven't done it, but most people would see it with a bit of fun, mm. a bit, it being inquisitive. Does this connect me with anyone? You know, am, am I mm. the son of a, a Norman yeah. uh, king or something, I mean, or uh, yeah. a Viking warrior? And you it know, could end up opening up a whole can of worms when you find out you're actually the son of the next door neighbour. Particularly <laughs> <laughs> if you start calling them dad or mum. Yeah. Yes. Well, look, Sean. Um, I've, I've, as you know, uh, yeah. I think standards in public life are important, mm. and no, no, nothing more so than than dress codes. No. Yeah. Absolutely. So I've I've been taken by the story coming out of the U.S. Senate. Mm. Uh, it's been led by, uh, well, not been led, but it's all due to a chap called John Fetterman, who's the Democratic senator for Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's known for wearing shorts and a hoodie in the Senate. <laughs> and I've seen a picture of him. He's quite ample. So Is he large fella? They're sort of, yeah, large chap. And let's say they're comfortably fitting, if we can put it that way. <laughs> And and he started wearing shorts and a hoodie after returning from uh, treatment for depression. Uh. Sadly, the the article I was reading doesn't explain the link between why <laughs> why returning from depression means that you've got to be wearing no. shorts and a hoodie. Can you sort of work that out? Well, I th- I th- I there's oh you've the, got an angle on this. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's part of me that. That can understand that if you're suffering from depression and then you're 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 at home and you don't yeah. want to leave the house and what have you, yeah. that, that then yeah. you might wear shorts and a hoodie and just yeah. slouch around in loungewear and what have you. But if you've made the effort to get to to get to the Senate in the first place, you think, 
well, I could put on, you know, might just push myself to put on a, a pair of trousers and a shirt. Um, if I'm if I'm going to go there, I'm not I'm not sure why you would turn up in in. Yeah, no, I I a bit strange that really. Um, okay, so well, bear this in mind then. So now there's a guy you've probably heard of called Chuck Schumer, yeah. and he's the Democratic Senate Majority Leader, mm. and as a result of Mr. Fetterman's uh, issues, uh, he said that the unwritten dress code uh, that exists in the Senate is to be uh, scrapped, and the unwritten dress code is that gentlemen should be wearing jacket and tie, mm. and women should be wearing business attire, as broad as that. Yeah. But anyway, this unwritten dress code is not going to be enforced anymore. Now, Mr. Fetterman said he's all right wearing a suit, so he's not asking for it. Mm. But that's what they've decided. However, and this is where sort of equality goes out the window, this decision only applies to elected members of the Senate and therefore aides and staffers must wear the right clothing. That's not fair, is it, really? I mean, they all ought to be allowed to wear hoodies and, uh, and, and jogging bottoms. If, was it Again, jogging bottoms? I'm, I'm, shorts, jog, right? well, jogging bottoms, if you like. That's, yeah. That really is. I think that's lower than shorts in the sort of sartorial league table. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it depends. I, Dressing I, I, gown. Yeah. I, 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 I suppose the argument here is that... Um, that yeah. his that his constituents, if they don't like him wearing jogging bottoms and shorts, can vote him out of the next um, Senate elections. Whereas if you're uh, effectively a civil servant or you're you're working, yeah. that you can't be voted out. That you're going to be there, and and, no. and it doesn't reflect well upon. I remember talking. Of the I can remember when I started working for the bank. That I bought myself a three-piece. Oh yes, I did that. Yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah. three-piece. What colour? It was it was like a turquoise blue suit. This was back <laughs> in the seventies, mine. It was a it was a mulled turquoise blue. Still it doesn't make it wasn't that a bright, right. It wasn't a bright turquoise blue, but it was it was a three-piece, and it had big flares at the because we used to have oh, huge yes. flares. Oh yes, oh yes, yeah, of course, seventies, and, yeah. and the Beetle Crusher shoes and what have you. But I can remember that. Um, I, I got onto the counter relatively early as a cashier, um, probably about eight months after starting with the bank. And I can remember it was a really, really hot summer. And, and it was, I don't know whether you remember, but in those times it, there was still, albeit that the, there was some question as to the, as to the style, there was still a suggestion of, of giving the appearance of sartorial elegance. Um, and I remember being called into the manager's office there because I had this three-piece suit, and um, and I taken to sitting on the counter and taken the taken the jacket off. It was about ninety oh, degrees in the shade, yeah. And and the my manager at the time called me in and said, uh, uh, "Mr. And it sounds like something out of Dad's Army, but uh, Mr. Steer, Mr. Steer, um, uh, I noticed you've taken your jacket off. I wonder whether we could ask that." You either wear all both parts of the suit, so you wear the the uh, waistcoat and the jacket, or you wear neither the waistcoat or the jacket. When you wear just the waistcoat, you look like a station porter. 
<laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it was it was very much uh, you know that's what, Mr. Manager. That's what you like, need from your manager. You do absolutely cutting your legs off feedback. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I um, I sympathise with Mr. Fema was his name, the guy in the. Um, oh right. In, was it Mr. Fema? Did you say the guy in the? I don't know. I didn't know him. No, you're. Oh you're, no, you're, sorry. Oh, I thought you meant you were talking about your. No, no, I no. thought you were talking about your manager. No, the guy in the job. <laughs> Why do you ask me for? Fetterman. Fetterman. Yeah, Mr. Fetterman. Um, I sympathise with Mr. Fetterman in his um, in his hoodie, um, but um, you know there were standards to upkeep. And on on that note, you'll have to excuse me, guy, because I'm um, I've got to see the next train off. <laughs> All aboard! <laughs> well, that's it for this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed Riff Raff News. Please leave some comments on the app or on our Facebook page, and uh, please subscribe, and then episodes will drop automatically into your podcast feed. <laughs> <laughs>